Hi, this is Ellie Kushner with Dancewell Podcast, and for episode 48, I spoke to my good friend Adele Nickel about posture and the Alexander Technique. Adele Nickel trained with Oregon Ballet Theater and the San Francisco Ballet before moving to New York City to pursue a career in modern dance. There she worked with Annie B. Parson, Sarah Mitchelson, and Patrick Corbin, among others, and as a member of the Liz Gehring Dance Company, from 2007 to 2015, she was featured in several evening-length works, including the 2013 Bessie-nominated Glacier. While in New York City, Adele also became an AMSAT-certified teacher of the Alexander Technique and extensively studied anatomy, kinesiology, and developmental movement with Amy Matthews. She received her 1600 our Alexander Technique teacher training at Riverside Initiative for the Alexander Technique in New York City, and subsequently served there as associate assistant director, faculty member, and anatomy teacher. She also taught group classes in the Alexander Technique on faculty at Movement Research and the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. In 2017, Adele moved to Seattle, Washington to pursue her MFA in dance at the University of Washington. While at UW, she also taught the department's first ever Alexander Technique class for dancers. Adele graduated with her MFA two weeks ago. Congratulations, Adele, and is teaching the Alexander Technique in private practice this summer before moving to Texas to join the faculty of Sam Houston State University as a visiting assistant professor of dance. You can follow Adele on her Instagram as at King Dellers and contact her via her uh, dance website at www.adelnickel.com or for Alexander Technique at www.alexanderwithadele.com. Both of those will be on our website. So hi, Adele. I'm so glad that we are able to catch up and have this conversation about posture. Likewise. Big hello to all your listeners from Seattle, Washington. Um, So I'm glad we're talking about this. Posture is such an interesting topic to me because it's addressed in such a wide spanning array of discussions from, you know, etiquette with like the old Miss Manners adage, like, bring bring your soup to you not you to your soup um to aesthetics like in dance or fashion or just culture at large and um even in science and stuff like postural control and everything so um i want to start this conversation by explaining the frame we're using because there are so many possible frames that you could Mm -hmm. um shape this conversation within um so as your bio explains you're an alexander technique teacher um what start is difficult Adele but can you start by explaining what is the Alexander technique (laughs) yes I can try um it is a difficult question um for sure it's actually a joke among Alexander technique teachers that if you ask 10 of them what the Alexander technique is you'll get 10 different answers so (laughs) uh one way in I kind of um tend to take is to talk about a little bit of what distinguishes the Alexander technique from other somatic techniques. And I mean, what I mean by somatic techniques, which you could say, what do you mean by somatic techniques? I'd get 10 different answers as well, probably. <laughs> but <laughs> the way I'm using it is, is to think about somatic techniques as, a, as approaches or modalities or practices that, that work to mine and then privilege the kind of knowledge or the kind of knowing that exists already in the body. Um, so I think of somatic techniques kind of as as outroads as opposed to inroads, <laughs> meaning we're starting on the inside and working our way out, not the other way around in terms of inputting knowledge into the body from the outside in, which is how so many forms of knowledge are typically thought um, of being sort of uh, gained. Um, so, okay, so that's that's where I'm coming from in terms of the umbrella of somatic techniques and the Alexander techniques is one of these techniques and is one of the older techniques uh, from the Western perspective. I mean, a lot of somatic ideas have been around for millennia, especially in the East. Um, But in the West uh, it's, 
I like to stress that Alexander isn't some newfangled thing that and, um, just to give people a, a sense of historical context that Alexander uh, himself, he was a person, uh, was born in 1869 and developing his technique around the turn of the century. He uh, died in 1925. Um, so that's just kind of to place it in history. Um, but in terms of what in, in practice distinguishes the Alexander technique from some other modalities um, is, is one that um, it's interested primarily in working with habit. So this unconscious script that's running in the background all the time, affecting how we move, breathe, walk, dance, really relate to other people in our environment uh, without being aware of it necessarily. So it's like this script that's running, influencing everything we do, um, but that we're not always aware of. So, um, and as long as a habit or a pattern, be it physical or otherwise, is unconscious, we don't have choice around it. But as we've become more conscious of the things we're doing, we can then choose to do them or not. Um, so the role of an Alexander Technique teacher, as I see it, is to uh, use their hands. So an Alexander Technique teacher goes through a three-year, 1,600-hour training to use their hands in such a way that you're able to help students become more aware of patterns and tensions that they're holding onto that they might not need, and then help guide them towards mobilizing uh, new strategies uh, for support and movement that are aimed at cultivating um, a more balanced, organized, expansive, and sort of generally more coherent system as a whole. Right. And Alexander technique, as many somatic techniques are, are, are uh, starting from the assumption that, bo that body is inseparable from mind, psyche, spirit, if that's part of your paradigm, right. et cetera. Um, so there's that. So we're dealing with, with habit and bringing unconscious habits into consciousness. And in looking for that, uh, that coherence through the system, the Alexander Technique in particular orients itself around the relationship of the head with the spine, uh, which is why it's often evoked in this posture conversations. Um, and Alexander discovered that for in himself, that when there was a coherent relationship between his head, neck, and spine, so that is when, when all those parts were playing well together, um, that that seemed to have an effect on, on the whole. So that he figured out that he could impact the whole, his, his limbs, his arms, his legs, his breathing, his voice, his movement, all by changing uh, his relationship to his head and spine and his, uh, the relationship of the head, neck, and spine itself to each other. So um, that's kind of why, Alex, why and how I think Alexander gets evoked in the posture conversation. Um, and just a little side note, well, it's not really a side note, but in terms of how... <laughs> <laughs> in terms of how he made um, these, these discoveries about the head, neck, and spine, um, I think is interesting, is that, um, you know, Alexander, given his time and also where he was, he was born in Tasmania and was developing his work in Australia and then in the UK, but he, he didn't have teachers in the sense that we have teachers today who are teaching us about our body and our anatomy and our physiology and the mind-body connection and how to dance and how to move and all these wonderful things. He didn't have any teachers. All he had was himself. Yeah. And so his, he um, developed this technique out of self-experimentation and self-observation in pursuit of solving a problem he had, which was that he wasn't able to perform. He was an actor and he was losing his voice and having pain and all kinds of issues. And he wanted to solve that problem for himself so that he could perform. So at its heart, the Alexander technique is also a technique that is, um, is based in self-observation and self-experimentation and in the desire to perform. So that's also why I think it's great for dancers in particular who are looking at posture and how they're using themselves is impacting their performance. It's to know that at, at its roots, Alexander came out of this desire to perform. Um, so what we're looking at in the technique is, is the how, right? So assuming we, we wanna perform, we wanna be healthy, we wanna, be, we wanna dance well, right? Uh, how, and the Alexander approach to the how is to be primarily concerned, and this is a, the last thing I'll say about what sort of, to me, sets it apart from other modalities, but um, is that it's primarily, primarily concerned with what we're not doing, <laughs> what not to do. 
So the Alexander technique isn't about telling people what the right way is to doing, doing something or fixing them, fixing their posture, correcting their posture, which is a big thing that happens in the posture conversation and in the dance conversation. Um, but it's, it's looking to kind of uh, uncover and undo habits in order to make room for something new to arise. Um, and for me, there is, again, as a, as a dancer, someone who uh, really values that kind of creative space that's opened up when something new can happen. Um, it's, a, it's a very exciting uh, combination of structure and, and freedom that the Alexander Technique offers. So it is a technique. It has structure. It has rules, you might say. Uh, but they're designed to help you get out of your own way undo what you don't need in order to uncover something new. So for me, there's a, a creative uh, potential and capacity yeah. and opportunity inherent in the uh, technique itself. But because we're looking at what not to do and we're kind of giving up on the right way or which is the habitual way, often what feels right is what's habitual right? Not what is right, like capital R, eternal truth, right? Um, that when you're giving up on that, um, it can be a little disorienting. Um, and, and I think that's part of why it's hard to talk about. It's hard to say what it is, because in a way it is different for everyone. Um, Let me grab a couple things that you just said. So one, you were saying that there is a structure, and mm -hmm. one of the structures is to ask questions right so like that's I think where you get that duality of like there's structure but there's room for creativity because one of the one of the structures of Alexander is for the the um, individual to ask themselves how am I responding to this mm -hmm. right so that sort of that's the structure but the answer is always going to be different and the answer always invites the individual to figure that out mm-hmm um, and then you talked about like this idea of a script a couple times and a habit. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny when you talk about like the ongoing script, we often use that in psychology, you know, like self-talk, the things mm -hmm. that you say like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. Um, or, oh, I can do this better. Um, and you're not talking about that kind of script, are you? You're talking, what, what do you mean by script? Oh, oh, by script. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, right. I'm not talking so much as, as the actual self-talk. I'm more talking about, maybe it's not a script, maybe it's a track playing in the background. Right, right. Or, or a program, like the neuro, or program. neuro programming or something of the body or something. Yeah, yeah that's probably a better way of, of saying it. And sometimes I do make the comparison when I'm trying to describe Alexander. It depends on the audience. But often people who have had experience with uh, various forms of therapy or psychotherapy, um, it's a it's a useful comparison to make. So this idea that there is a um, that our life experiences have added up to a certain uh in a way, like psychological posture, right, mm -hmm. or attitude towards tendency to react a certain way, habits, or, yeah. exactly, that we've built up through our life experiences um, that is impacting, is like, are the glasses through which we are experiencing our lives, right? Right. And um, for me, my understanding of the process of therapy is that often what can happen is, is is some space can be made between you and the glasses, mm -hmm. right? So you're, you become aware that you're seeing life through these particular glasses. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe I want to like change my prescription, mm -hmm. you know, get a, you know, get a different style frame or something, you know? Um, and, uh, and then you start to have a little, a little distance between you and your psychological tendencies or habits or um, which are often unconscious and, um, and, and, and your action. So the little space between opens up between what your like knee jerk reaction would be. And then what mm -hmm. you, if you can see it as that you can make a different choice. Right. So, so the comparison with Alexander would be that it, a, a similar situation is the case. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk about how we all have like a, a, a physical personality or a profile or, um, or a reaction to like, you know, I'm sure a lot of dancers can relate to the idea that like a certain teacher walks in the room and the energy of the room is different and your body reacts response. a certain way. Exactly. Right. 
certain right. muscles, and certain muscles get tense or or you, you know the right. way you put your head in an eagerness you know in an effort to look eager and alert and attentive becomes right. different than somebody who has a different presence in the room or absolutely and your individual response to that particular person walking in the room is the the sum of all the other experiences you've had mm-hmm. in your life right. <laughs> and the sort of various uh, coping mechanisms and you know holding patterns and learning styles uh, and learning styles and strategies that you've mm-hmm. developed cultural to, values and absolutely that you've developed to kind of cope with and respond to life's demands are what you bring into the room and how you respond um, and yeah exactly what you're saying I mean it's it's we can talk about it like a psychological response to someone walking in the door, but if we're not making a distinction between the psyche and the mind and the body, that every every psychological response also has a physical response, mm-hmm. right? So in Alexander, we're kind of looking at these responses and not distinguishing between the psychological and the intellectual and the physical response, but we're starting with the the physical. We're looking at okay, what's happening? Uh, how is my body responding? Uh, to the given stimulus and what kind of choice do I have like from that point of entry? Mm -hmm. So then um, I guess the next place to go from here is towards specifically in posture. And I mean, you've kind of already, you've talked about the coherent relationship between the head and the spine and also Mm -hmm. this idea that in Alexander, there isn't a right posture. And I, you know, we just did an episode with, um, Shen Fine from about balance and you know balance postural control posture alignment these are really big important concepts and yet a lot of the terminology mm-hmm. that uh, accompanies them or is required with them is frustratingly vague <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it sometimes even uses itself to define itself which is problematic um mm-hmm. So I, but it, but it's, but I also appreciate that because that is the truth, right? Balance is, is complex and posture Mm -hmm. is complex. And, um, what all that said, what do you think the definition is of posture and how does it maybe vary from say alignment or balance, which are not unrelated, but different, but different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, I think you're right. These words are all so loaded that I tend to just not use them. <laughs> if I can, av- <laughs> if I can avoid using them, I do just because they, uh, they bring so much baggage with them yeah. to the, to the table. Um, and, and for me, it's, it's really hard to talk about alignment and posture with people without them immediately going to position. Yeah. And my, um, understanding of posture and alignment um, is that it's it's not about position it's about relationship um, and if we're if we're looking kind of at the at the purely at the physical level um, if that was even possible but <laughs> when I'm talking about relationships on a physical level I'm I'm looking um, I'm thinking specifically about you know about relationships between bones and bony pathways and the muscles who love them kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, and maybe it's a metaphor. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe I mean, it's, it's a, it's an over, oversimplification, oversimplification, of course, but uh, in my experience, when the, when bones are in relationship in such a way that movement can happen between them at the joints and force can, travel clearly through the bones themselves with the least amount of muscular effort. When those conditions are present, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what some people would then call good posture or good alignment will arise. Appears. Will yeah, there. exactly. I, you know, it's I, when I teach alignment, I often, or dancers, I often say, you know, what's good, what's ideal alignment? And they give me the whole like PSIS and pubic synthesis on the right. same pain and, you know, and, that is what is in the uh, is in a textbook but that's right. just not true for everybody you know every exactly every ilium is slightly different in its shape every exactly. scapula is slightly different in its shape and so that we have this idea of like well generally 
a plumb line might fall through your ear and your shoulder and the center of your hip and the center of your knee and the center of your ankle. But really, ideal alignment is the alignment that puts the least strain and stress mm-hmm. on your system, right? And so for some people, that means living with, you know, a lower dotted curve. That's that's Absolutely. their best place to be. And then Absolutely. I often ask them about posture. And I, in a genuinely not fishing for an answer this time I'm usually (laughs) genuinely curious what their idea of posture is because and how it varies from alignment and the the only thing I really I also think posture does have sort of a like a social component to Mm. it or a cultural Mm -hmm. um component to it you know that there's a there's a personality in posture. Alignment mm-hmm. is alignment is like your bone, you know, biomechanics and here's where the bones align. And mm-hmm. Whereas posture has a feeling and posture has character mm. and posture has personality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can get away with that kind of nonsense because I'm an artist, right? <laughs> <laughs> what does that really mean? I don't know. Um, anything to say about that? Um. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that um, that distinction between yeah, like sort of alignment me being more of a biochem- biomechanical um, phenomenon. Um, yeah, I remember Amy Matthews, my um, anatomy teacher, uh, fabulous anatomy teacher, talking about or asking the question about alignment well, what are you aligning with? Uh-huh. <laughs> in relation, And again, kind to of who? bringing it, right, again, kind of bringing it back in to this question of relationship. So right. yes, in the way that you and I are talking and how we're trained, we're, we're thinking, okay, aligning in, when we're talking about alignment, we're talking about aligning with this mm-hmm. sort of, you know, Western anatomical, biomechanical, Cartesian, point, like, Cartesian yeah. model. <laughs> um, so maybe alignment to someone else means, you know, alignment through their chakras or right, alignment through their spirit, through exactly. their spirit or, right. or some other or the other system. Ecological um, perspective or something, yeah. Right. Maybe it's aligning with another. Maybe right. it's aligning with, you know, a choreographer who wants you to look a certain way. Right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I, I guess borrowing from Amy, I would say with, with alignment, uh, alignment with what? Yeah. Um. And, and I've been, yeah, I agree that I think posture has a, uh, yeah, socio-psychological um, and even performative uh, side to it. Um, and, and that's where I might bring the Amy Cuddy into the conversation. Um, right. Who's a social psychologist who has taught at Harvard and other places and, and done um, a study on what she calls a popular study on what she calls power posing. I think it was one of the most watched TED talks of all time. And she's done a bunch of research on it with this idea that if you hold a certain posture, right. And then even how we talk about it, right. In the language, hold the posture, mm-hmm. <laughs> the holding, it's almost like intrinsic to the idea. Our idea of posture is, is a hold involves a holding of the body, which in my line of work, I'm trying to get away from that paradigm. Uh, but she assuming work, a posture, assuming a <laughs> right, assuming a posture, holding a posture. Like these are, this is what I'm saying. It's like there's so much baggage around yeah. it. I just prefer not to talk about it. But um, anyway, so but Amy did this really interesting work where uh, she it showed that if people held a certain posture for two and a half minutes or something before they went into an important meeting, um, that their confidence and their performance was significantly improved. You you were saying um, before we went online here, you were saying, and I, I did see that, that her research hasn't been um, replicated. So it, it has been questioned. Um, it has been questioned, but yeah, it, for it's sure. Kind of, and, and maybe, you know, she, she does get into sort of testing cortisol levels and maybe she didn't do that. Um, maybe her methodology was flawed. But we know we know this to be true. I mean, mm-hmm. like she talks about how most people go to an interview and they're nervous and they sit with their arms crossed and their legs crossed and feeling anxious. 
and she suggests instead going to the bathroom stall and spreading yourself out like an X, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, her, in her TED talk. Um, making yourself big. Yeah, make yourself big, right? It gets back to these like evolutionary ideas. Um, and she talks about it really wonderfully. But I mean, we just, we know, I, I don't need science. I don't need science to tell me that that's yeah. right. <laughs> I know. You don't? But, I, you I don't know, need science I know. to tell you. But, you know, that if you assume a um, meek posture, you begin to feel meek. For me, her work kind of gets, it, it has popularized what we, what you're saying, what we already know, that this very fundamental connection between what we're doing with our body and how we feel and how we perform. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever needs to be done to get that message out uh, is great. Um, my, what I would, uh, what I would kind of add to the conversation or wish for is again, back to this outside in versus inside out approach, right? I mean, she's mm -hmm. kind of saying, put your body, like take, take a shape, assume, assume a shape, right? Right. Or right, exactly. do something with your body. It's prescriptive, that's sort of being which is directed and prescribed. Yeah. yeah. On, on the outside and then let it, uh, trickle in. Right. right? And, um, my interest as, uh, somatic practitioner is is kind of flipping that and starting with those uh deep internal relationships mm -hmm. and looking for you know change on the inside that then trickles out right 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 um so it's not that we don't that it that we don't maybe want like expansive you know beautiful uh body language right uh when we walk into any scenario be it a job interview or a lincoln center right. um but from the paradigm I'm working with, I would love for that to come from the inside, not mm -hmm. be prescribed from the outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, she um, does advocate at the end of her TED talk for, you know, sometimes it's a fake it till you make it kind of scenario. You know, right. she, this is always my problem with TED talks. It always comes back to like a business school pitch. You know, it always yeah. is about like why you want this to make more money. Um, right. And yes, yeah, um, so she, she, takes she's not interested in the development of the self necessarily she's like product -oriented. yeah and i would just argue that short term that's effective i wonder long term how sustainable mm -hmm. that approach is mm -hmm. even if we're talking about we're looking for whatever efficiency mm -hmm. or you know economics or you know from a business perspective right um the sort of yeah, I think there's something to be said for the like if you build it, they will come, or yeah, fake it or you like make it if, kind of thing. If you can't um, get there authentically, the, just fake it until you, you have, have a sense do. of it, and then yeah. Right, but I would I would couple that approach with um, with a more long term uh, desire to to look for to to find that support from the inside. Mm -hmm. um, so. So, um, dancers specifically, uh -huh. um, I remember years ago before I studied Alexander technique at all, sort of coming across a book that was like, from an Alexander perspective, if somebody says, you have such great posture, you must be a dancer, you should be worried. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I mean, there, and there is this sort <laughs> of, there is this cultural belief that, um, you know, dancers have spectacular posture. Um, uh -huh. But um, there might be some limitations to that dancer posture. And I think, you know, we have to be careful what, uh, what forms we're talking about here. I mean, uh -huh. we're really working in these sort of like Western ideas of modern uh -huh. dance and ballet and... Uh -huh. um, even Irish step dancing and stuff like that all have these mm -hmm. similar postures. Um, we're not, it's a limitation in our field. Uh, so what, what, what do you think about dancer posture? What is it? Is it good? Is it problematic? Mm -hmm. Obviously it varies from person to person a bit, but there are some universalities perhaps. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think like you're saying, there is, uh, and over, there tends to be an overemphasis on uh, length and uprightness, mm -hmm. um, sometimes to the detriment of like the other uh, the other axes, right? We have uh -huh. yes, we have length, uh -huh. but we also have width and we also have depth. Mm -hmm. 
Um, And if we're looking for the fullness of our uh, movement capacity and support and breathing and internal volume, I think it behooves us to look not just for length, but for uh, width and depth Um, and for volume generally. Um, So again, yeah, I think it depends, you know, what your goal is, you know, is, is the goal an aesthetic Um, is the goal, the health of your spine, um, you know, what is, what is the goal and, and, and not to say that it's bad to have a certain aesthetic be your goal, but, but to just know that that's an aesthetic that you're choosing and that, that that's the goal and not conflating the aesthetic with the, with health. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my understanding is, is that a, a healthy spine is not a straight spine, right. <laughs> that our curves are very important um, to the health of our spine, for the discs, for the muscle attachments, for the ways that the organs are organized and, you know, the ribs oriented attach it, and, yeah. the, rib, the ribs attached for breathing. I mean, our spines are, are designed to have curves. Um, so there's that. And I think that, you know, all kinds of issues can come from taking the curves out of the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would remind dancers that a healthy spine is not a straight spine and not to be afraid of having curves. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing is when we look at dancer posture, again, it's from an Alexander perspective, it's, it's how, right? So where, where is that, is the, is the uprightness, is the posture coming from a bracing and a holding and a rigidness, right? Or is it coming from um, like a in Alexander, we would say from a direction, mm-hmm. right? From a from a full-bodied uh, wishing and intending of length along curves of spine. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> um, so more of an in, again, in, from my perspective, more of an internal approach to to length right that which you said earlier about how dance can be so fixated on the up and the vertical Mm. and the length at the expense of the other directions Mm -hmm. is so um informative I think like I'm thinking about one of the things that I work on a lot with many dancers at many different levels is the organization of their rib cage pelvis and ribcage, oh, right so yeah mm-hmm. but um sometimes they get that pelvis thing figured out and the rib takes a long time and the rib cage takes a long time and and mm-hmm. a lot of times I think yeah it is that fixation on up 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 so much that then the mm-hmm. front to back organization gets all mm-hmm. skewed you know and so dancers oh, talk yeah. about dancers talk about their ribs being flared or open or sticking their rib cage forward or whatever mm-hmm. that is um in their terms and so a lot of work on sort of, yeah, opening up the back and finding space. And that's related mm-hmm. to bringing that kyphotic curve back mm-hmm. into the upper spine, you know, and that's mm-hmm. something um, absolutely that's really that's, hard. Yeah. Yep. For, for dancers. Yeah. And yeah. And to be clear, when in Alexander, when we're talking about the relationship between the head and the spine, we're not talking about an overly lengthened relationship between the head and the spine. We're talking about a relationship that supports the what we call the back and up of the ribs Mm -hmm. right and that supports the integration of the pelvis with the back with the ribs with the legs right so that when we're talking about the primacy of the head and spine and the alexander technique we're talking about the its primacy in service of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the breathing the uh limbs to back connection, the whole thing. We're not talking about it as a uh, privileging of uh, the uprightness. Right, right. Like it's like an orienting um, yeah, I think place orienting, to come from. It's not as though it has no uh, yeah, hierarchical value to the rest of the body or something. Right. It's, it's in support of the, of the whole functioning. Mm-hmm. Speaking to what you're saying about the the kyphotic curve in in with dancers in the thoracic spine, I feel like is is definitely something that comes up with dancers. Yeah, and same with the lumbar curve too, right? There's that like mm-hmm. 
um, they're so afraid to have a butt sometimes, <laughs> yeah. they're like tucking and le- over lengthening and kind of yep. stretching out that lumbar spine at the expense of curve. Um, what are their, mm-hmm. what are their possible? Actually, that's how I got into Alexander myself uh-huh. is that I was, yeah, I was, uh, I had developed a tension pattern, um, in my lower spine mm-hmm. that was bringing me a lot of pain. Yeah. In that effort to, I, I didn't think I, I was remember. tucking, but I was, yeah, you remember. You were yeah, like, Ellie, I should say, Ellie's responsible for getting me into Alexander. You had that so. tail, you had that tailbone pain. And I was like, yeah, you know, I had a pain like that. And Alexander technique really helped me. Maybe it will help you. I don't know. But I didn't, I, I, uh, opened, I do feel very proud for opening the door on that chapter of Alexander yes. for you, but you soon discovered that the door had been opened long ago when your parents were musicians uh, or are mus- yeah. who are musicians mm-hmm. were in school and and your mother practiced her Alexander studies um, on you as a baby. <laughs> yeah, she tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you segue? Um, a big part of the Alexander technique, you know, it's very similar. Like if any if any psychologists are li- listening, it's similar to like Rogerian therapy, where it's um, a big part of your practice and becoming a teacher is self-reflection, right? Mm-hmm. It's like understanding your own habit and your own patterns mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. spending a lot of time on that task. Um, mm-hmm. So what did you discover in that journey when you were becoming an Alexander teacher? You just started to talk about that tucking. What else was revealed? Uh, that I wasn't breathing. Uh-huh. <laughs> that in, you know, over two decades of dance training and professional work as a dancer, no one had ever talked to me about breathing mm-hmm. and the importance of it. Um, that was a big revelation. Um, let's see, just uh, really uh, overusing my legs. Mm. How so? Um, um, using my legs as almost like levers for my torso um, as opposed to integrated parts of that hole and getting my legs connected up with my back um, was huge. Can, it, you, can you say that? Can you explain that even more? Like what do you, what do you mean by like levers for your torso? Um, I mean that I was, I would overuse my, I think because I uh, wasn't pretty, I wasn't very integrated. I was definitely had been trained and learned to see myself as parts. My legs mm-hmm. do this, my arms do this. This is the shape I'm making with my torso. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't working efficiently and I was way overworking in my legs. So, um, I saw my legs as, you know, like when I'm jumping, like it was just my legs pumping up and down to get myself off the floor mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing, you know, a jump as a whole body affair, uh-huh. Uh-huh. right? Um, or cranking my leg up into a double side, right? At the, at the expense of the, the integrity of, of tail. Of, yeah. Yeah. The health of my tail, the <laughs> health of my spine. Um, and a lot of things really changed for me. I um, I started walking less turned out mm-hmm. <laughs> in my daily life. Um, my hips start stopped popping. I used to have those like yes. horrible pops. You probably remember. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I tell students that too. I used to have um, a clicking ankle every time I walked until I yeah. started doing Alexander. Mm-hmm. And let's see, I, my legs got less bow-legged than mm-hmm. they were. I have mm-hmm. like a kind of a strong bow and that has definitely um, decreased and but interestingly I lost flexibility in my hamstrings Mm -hmm. and I mean which is fine I mean I think I I have plenty to do what I need to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah as things kind of balanced out it was it was very interesting to see the changes that happened and again it was indirect Mm -hmm. you know my teachers never worked said okay now Adele we're gonna you know reorganize your we're going to, you know, realign your legs. Right, no one right. ever said that. Right. It's just what happened as the whole of myself became more balanced out. Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting lesson for me, too. And this is, a, you know, another really powerful 
thing for me in terms of Alexander was that was to kind of let go of that idea that I always had to know how something was going to happen or I had to, if it was going to get done at all, I had to do it. Mm-hmm. That was very much my approach to my body, to my work, to my professional career, right? Was to just like, man, I had muscle through and muscle yeah. through it. Yeah. yeah. And, and more and harder and better and, uh, was always the imperative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned through Alexander a, a new way, a new how to get me to my goal without giving up the goal. But um, I learned a lot about um, how to have a healthy approach to my work and to myself, not just on the physical level, right? Um, but how to cultivate more more patience with myself mm-hmm. and more compassion. Um, and not in a like a touchy-feely self-love way, in a really like practical way. <laughs> like, yeah. How so? Um, um, just that um, we get in our own way all the time. Um, and when we can kind of ease up on our compulsions to be a certain way or to do a certain thing, um, something, a new way emerges. Mm-hmm. New opportunities present new themselves. New opportunities yeah. present themselves. That, um, And I saw that happen in my you know, in my personal life and in my professional life and physically in my own body. It was nothing I had imagined when I went in for an Alexander Technique Alexander Technique lesson for my back pain. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think what became a, what started as a, um, as a, as a question about back pain and, um, how to be better <laughs> uh, has really become like a life lesson for me in terms of how I want to live and how I want to approach my, my work and my life. It's been, it's been amazing. That's great. I always say yeah. Alexander technique was the most transformative thing of all the things that I've done. To and do you've it. done yeah. a lot. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, different modalities, right? So I mean, I've done a, a fair number. Think, what do you think was so transformative about it? for you um a lot of similar stuff to what you're saying um I started going um because my uh amazing Pilates teacher Clarice Marshall was sort of pointing me in that direction for breathing issues and other Mm -hmm. stuff and I remember I came back every time I would come back to Pilates after having a break from dancing whether it was because I was on vacation and had been, you know, cross-training and hiking and biking and swimming and whatever, or even if I was sick or something, you know, she'd always be like, oh, things are looking more mm. organized or, you know. And sort of think like, yep. what is it about dancing that is binding me up? Like, mm-hmm. why, why does dancing, which should be about stretching and lengthening and being free make my body get so bound and tight and congested Mm. and congested and inefficient and exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I started, so I did sort of start, I think a little bit more with that aim. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it helped me a lot with physical things. I mean, being able to go to class and just, yeah, do combinations and feel, have some sense of, opening my back um, mm-hmm. or allowing my hip to crease rather than folding my hip um, mm-hmm. was very helpful. But it also really helped me, like you said, I mean, it really, it was a little bit therapeutic um, from a psychological standpoint too, just in terms of, like you said, making space for things. And in my teaching also, it really taught me how mm, to, yeah, you know, just sort of like be where the person's at and not have an agenda necessary, you know, maybe have some ideas in mind or, you know, cause I'm not an Alexander technique teacher, so I don't have to completely do it, but you know, so I might have some, <laughs> some things that I'm working on with a client, some concepts that, that we're working on some postural organizations that I would like them to experience, but to kind of just loiter in the pauses of life a little more <laughs> and sort of, uh, <laughs> 
loiter. I like that. Be there and make space uh, for the next step to introduce itself. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Right, because if you're always doing, 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 yeah, you you don't you can't hear the other messages, the other little voices that are trying to say, well, what about this? Yeah. Right, and I guess, yeah, and and with that, I feel like there is permission to bring parts of yourself into your dance life that, for me, weren't, I didn't previously see as relevant or valuable or important. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? Um, just that who I was as a human and as an intellectual, um, as someone who could make choices and who could feel feelings Mm -hmm. and it could have my own ideas, um, that, that I could bring that into the dance studio and that that could actually be part of my dance practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it maybe it sounds of kind technique. of obvious now. It could be part it doesn't, of technique. Right. It doesn't even have to be part of, oh, I'm playing Giselle, so I'm going to draw on my right. emotions of loss. Like, it, no, it can just be like, yeah, I can make choices about how my foot interacts with the floor. Oh, yeah. And just that, like some idea I read in a book or an image that I came across in my daily life or a conversation that I had with a friend could remind me about something that makes this step more interesting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or um or that clarifies this internal internal relationship for me and my body um and I think that there tends to be this like separation between like life in the studio and life outside the studio maybe not so much for the choreographic practice or in creative practice but for dancers especially who are working at a professional level and training very hard and are you know, or in a company and are very committed to one particular aesthetic. Um, yeah, it can be kind of narrowing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for me, Alexander helped me be able to like still do all of that, but again, to open up space for more of me to enter into that, uh, that project, right. And rehearsals became more interesting and class became more interesting because it wasn't just about training my body. Yeah it was about being who I was and bringing the whole of myself to bear on my creative work and my professional work. Um, so yeah. Um, and I, I see that, I mean, just to kind of like tie that back to into posture too. I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I see, uh, my, the Alexander teacher I'm studying with here in Seattle, uh, Jean Barrett talks about like, um, tendency of dancers, or maybe it's just me, but <laughs> uh, I think I see it in my students, um, to kind of be on or off. Right, right, right. And if you watch dancers in class, often they'll have one kind of posture when they're going across the floor, yes. they're doing a combination. And then you watch them on the side, but w- between groups or when they're, you know, just sitting stretching or whatever. And they're completely different and yeah. often quite, quite collapsed. Yeah. Um, yes. In fact, and, actually, somebody asked me when they heard I was joining this discussion with you, somebody that we know asked me to bring this, to address this, which is mm. that she has found um, like when she gets an injury or when she has a near injury, you know, MSK issues or something, um, she previously often would turn to her technique. What am I doing wrong? How am I dancing wrong? Like how, what, what, what do I need to fix in class? How can I fix my dancing? How can I be better in my dancing? And what she's come to learn through the years is that actually like a lot of these issues are more impacted by how she walks to the subway to go to dance class than what she's actually doing in dance class. Um, And And so that has been insightful to her and helpful, but also kind of, I I gathered from the way she was talking about it, almost like alleviating, like it's hard when you're a dancer and you think that you're dancing, um, is a problem, you know, there's, it's almost, or is hurting you. Yeah. It's hurting you. Exactly. That the the thing that you love is hurting you is very, Um, disturbing. Yeah, that's exactly it. Right. And so that recognition of like, oh, no, no, you're dancing 
you know, like, listen, is it great for your hip when you throw your leg up like that over and over again? Like, maybe not, but like, it's actually being done in a very um, integrated way, or it's, you know, it's robust, and it's temporary, and it's fleeting, and it's, you know, momentary. But like, when you stand on the side of the room for a third mm-hmm. of the class in that posture, there, like, right. that might be the problem. <laughs> right. Right. Because right. guess what? The same hip that's throwing that leg around is the hip that's walking to the grocery store, right. and it's like taking out the trash. <laughs> it's like, you know, right. yeah. So, um, yeah, for sure. And I think that's what Alexander kind of looks to address is the more fundamental what in in this work we call use, how you're using yourself, what you're doing all the time. Again, back to this sort of like physical personality or tendencies. What are you doing all the time that you might not be aware that you're doing that you can make a slight shift in and it could transform how you walk to the grocery store mm-hmm. and how you take out the trash and that that's not unrelated. It's still the same hip. It's the same knee. It's the same spine that is doing whatever you're doing in the studio. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, like this integrating of like dancer self and human self, yeah. like, you know, grocery shopper self, with, like it's all the same self, right? <laughs> Um, which again sounds so duh basic but um, often how we approach technique and and dance is kind of loses sight of that Um, so yeah I would say to dancers never underestimate you know paying attention to yourself in all activity and you know making you know the observations you make about yourself when you're walking down the street or brushing your teeth are potentially as uh, rich as the discoveries you make in in the studio yeah. um, and just offering Alexander as one model or one structure or one modality through which you might explore those those ideas well I think we'll wrap it up there Adele even though that you and I could just mm-hmm. we're just getting started I yeah. know we're just getting started so listeners um Come join us for coffee sometime if you want to go further with this. But that's where we'll end this conversation on Alexander technique and posture. Um, unless you have anything else to add, Adele, would you like to share anything else? No, I think that's 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 it. I love it. Thank you so yeah. much, Adele. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about our podcast by visiting www.dancewellpodcast.com. We wouldn't be where we are without generous contributions from our listeners. Your contributions help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees, and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support, and lastly, if you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!